Please turn with me to Luke chapter 22 as we continue to watch Peter. And this moment in Peter's life represents arguably the bottom as opposed to the apex, the apex, the nadir, the the bottom of things for Peter. Luke 22, beginning at verse 47. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs when I was with you day after day in the temple? You did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, And sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly, this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter Remembering the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, uh, please help us now. Please help us by your Spirit. Please help us through your Word. Please help us in the midst of this most painful moment to see, nevertheless, your kindness, your glory, your grace. We pray in your name. Amen. Please be seated. Eric Alexander is a Scot. He was the pastor of St. St. George Tron Church in Glasgow for a number of years, and I heard him tell a story, this comes from years ago, about a 
Scottish woman and her son, and, and this goes back several decades to a time when, when in this little village, this true story, when this woman and her son uh, had to go to a well to secure water for their, for their use in their home. And as good Scots, as good Scottish Presbyterians who had regard for the Sabbath, they... Um, they would do everything they could on Saturday to ensure that they didn't have to do anything that even remotely looked like work on the Sabbath, on the Lord's Day. Well, they got home from church, from worship on the Lord's Day, and the woman realized that they had failed to collect water for hydration for whatever other needs they might have had that fell short of working on the Sabbath. And so the mother said to the son, Mother, I will fetch it. And the mother spoke to the son after puzzling for a bit and said, Better to wait until dark. But the son said, Mother, the Lord will see even in the dark. (laughs) And the mother responded, Aye, laddie, yes, I know. The Lord sees in the dark. But the Lord is much more merciful than the neighbor's. The Lord is much more merciful than the neighbors or than we fully understand or appreciate. Never were words more appropriate, more applicable to Peter than those words. Aye, laddie, but the Lord is much more merciful. We've been walking with Peter through these sermons since being first introduced to Peter in John chapter 1. And we've been watching Peter grow and change. But if you go way back to the beginning of this series, which for us was last fall before the Advent and Christmas and Epiphany season, going back to November. It's way back at the beginning that very subtly the issue for Peter begins to be framed by Jesus when they have their meeting, when Andrew first brings his brother to meet Jesus and says to Peter, we have found the Messiah. And in that first exchange, Jesus puts his finger on what will be the issue for Peter as we walk with Peter through the Gospels and on into the book of Acts and then culminating in a look in his letters. We watch Peter in his interactions with Jesus. And again and again and again, this is the thing that recurs. In that initial 
meeting, Jesus said, You are Simon, son of John, Simon Barjona. You shall be called Peter, a rock. And if you remember back all those weeks ago, we all know what rock is, right? We all know what rock means. A boulder, a thing of substance, a thing that is reliable, a thing that is dependable, a thing that is unmovable. But do you remember what Simon's given name is? Simon, son of John? Do you remember that the name Simon derives from a Hebrew verb that means to hear, to listen, to listen intently, to listen with interest. And then, and then it has these connotations of having listened and listened with interest to yield to and to obey, to listen with the intent to obey. That's Peter's issue. That is Peter's recurring issue. Peter, will you listen? Will you listen? And it's most poignant here Because as we walk through the Gospels and we see Jesus interacting with Peter, the listening that Peter needs, the speaking that he needs to hear from Jesus is a listening and a speaking that has to do with who he, Peter, is. Peter, yes, will you listen to me? And hear me as I, your master and your Lord, the perfect prophet, priest, and king, the true and only son of the living God. Will you hear me and listen to me as I speak to you about me? But Peter, will you hear me? Will you listen to me as I assess you and speak to you about you? Will you hear the truth? about yourself. Let's say that that is this one point for this sermon. That's the issue for Peter. That's the issue for you and me, folks. Will we listen? Will we hear Jesus When Jesus speaks to me about me, will Peter hear Jesus when Jesus tells him the truth about himself? Let's reconstruct the scene. It's just a matter of a few hours at most since Peter and the others were with Jesus in the garden where Jesus, knowing what was in front of him, knowing what was before him, sought comfort, sought the help of his Father. The cross loomed large before Jesus. And Jesus, 
comprehension of the cross far exceeds, is very different from, and far exceeds Peter's or James and John's comprehension of the cross. James and John, who just a few days earlier, who just a few days earlier had put their mother up to the business of going to Jesus and having their mother appeal to Jesus that he might give to them the seats of honor in his kingdom. Jesus has been talking about the cross and his betrayal at Jerusalem. And James and John put their mother up to the business of going to Jesus to ask if he, Jesus, when he comes in his kingdom, would give to these two sons of hers the honor of sitting one on the right and one on the left. And of course, you can imagine, can't you, James and John, you can imagine them, these childish, immature, power-seeking, glory-hungry boys, you can imagine them saying, I get the right-hand side. I get the right-hand side. No, I get the right-hand side. Because the right-hand side was the seat of supreme power and honor, wasn't it? I get the right-hand side. No, 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 I get the right-hand side. Mom, mom, he wants the right-hand side. Looking past the cross, not even considering, contemplating, considering at one level or another what the cross signified for Jesus. And Peter, Peter quite likely, quite likely, as he contemplated the cross, as Jesus in Matthew 16 talks with Peter about the cross, he quite likely could only contemplate the shame of the cross, the humiliation of it. But Jesus in the garden knew the magnitude of the cross. Jesus in the garden knew the horror of the cross. Jesus knew that this was not simply a method of execution. It was not simply a thing of shame and humiliation. The cross meant for Jesus that this is where and this is when the thing most precious, most lovely, most delightful to him would be withdrawn from him. He would lose the sweet communion of his father's love would be removed from him and in its place would be wrath and terror and the unleashing of all of the Father's righteous indignation against sin. Jesus saw hell in the cross. And in the garden, he begged the Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. What cup? The cup of wrath. The cup of wrath. Isaiah 57, 17. Wake yourself, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the cup of staggering. The last, the last emblem, symbol, the final symbol of judgment, the judgment of God in the Revelation is seven cups, seven Bowls, the seven bowls of wrath. Jesus sees in the cross wrath 
And this gospel, just a few paragraphs above what we've read, tells us that an angel, an angel from heaven appeared to Jesus, came to Jesus, strengthening him. And Jesus, being in great agony, prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And where is Peter? Sleeping. Peter, will you listen to me? Will you listen to me when I tell you the truth about you? And then comes the crowd. The crowd comes with Judas. And there is the betrayal, the confrontation. And the disciples, the text tells us, the disciples ask Jesus, we've, we've brought swords. Shall we brandish the swords? Shall we, shall we pull out the daggers? Shall we go to war here? And then the text tells us that one of them whipped out a sword, some sort of, some sort of weapon, and cut off the ear of the high priest. It's Matthew's gospel. It's Matthew's gospel. I'm sorry, it's John's gospel that tells us that it was Peter who cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest whose name was Malchus. And here in this passage, verse 51, Jesus says, Enough! Enough of this! Peter! When will you listen Will you listen to me, Peter? And then Jesus is led away. And then begins what looks like a precipitous descent, doesn't it? It looks like the precipitous descent of Peter, the loyal follower of Jesus, to a place of collapse. But it doesn't begin there, folks. There is a fault line that runs straight through the soul and the heart of Peter. And the fault line is simply this. Peter, will you listen to me? Will you listen to me? Peter, we're going to see this. Peter, will you give up the arrogance? Will you give up the idolatries of self-protection and self-aggrandizement? Will you give up the idolatries of comfort and safety and security? Peter, when will you listen? Then, as Jesus is led away, is carried taken by the crowd to the house of the high priest. Peter follows, the text says, at a distance. Following at a distance, Matthew Henry. If you don't know Matthew Henry, you need to get to know Matthew Henry. Six volumes of commentary, beginning at Genesis 1-1 and concluding at the Revelation. People like George Whitfield read Matthew Henry cover to cover, six volumes, so as to know the central character 
and the central theme of the story, Jesus and his redemption. Matthew Henry has this delightful but painful observation. Following? Yes. Concern for his maker? Yes. But he followed him from afar so as to remain out of danger. He followed to satisfy his conscience. Ah, Jesus, I'm with you. I'm in the game. I'm here. He followed to satisfy his conscience, but from afar, so as to save his own reputation and sleep in a whole skin. Sleep in a skin safe and secure from the threats of the conspirators. Following to salve his conscience, but at a distance to save his skin. And then comes the denial. The first one, verse 56. Peter seated near the fire. Peter. Peter, you, you, you really are a deeply conflicted person. <laughs> seated near the fire in the midst of the other servants as a part of this crowd that came and arraigned Jesus to take him to trial. Peter, seated near the fire, and a servant girl, you can see it, can't you? Scrutinizing his face, looking at his face, the beard, the flames of the fire sort of flickering off his cheeks and in his eyes. And the servant girl recognizes him. Ha! This man was with him. Immediately, woman, I don't know him. I don't know him. That's over. But then the text says, just a little while later, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, a little while later, while Jesus is in the high priest's house, while Jesus clearly, as we'll see in the text, clearly within earshot of where Peter is, Peter likely hearing these things that are being said and the accusations, the interrogations, the humiliations, the threatenings, the physical abuse. A second time, verse 58, you are one of them. You are one of them. I am not. You are mistaken. And then silence, nothing. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. How good, they've given up. 45 minutes. Other conversation, other chatter. Go get some more wood for the fire. What do you think they'll do with him? Did you see that he healed the ear of the high priest's servant, Malchus? Did you see? Have you ever seen something like that? conversation around the fire. Bring more wood. Get more wood for the fire. 50 minutes, 55 minutes, 60 minutes, an hour. After an hour, verse 59 says, after an hour, then Peter again was confronted the third time. A man insisted, 
Certainly, this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. And it's in Matthew's gospel that we learn that Peter's accent betrayed him. Peter, you're from Alabama, I can tell. (laughs) Peter, you're from New Jersey, I can tell. Peter, you're from Chicago, I can tell. His accent identified him. And for the third time, Peter denies it. And if you read Matthew's account of Peter's denial, it is in Matthew's account that Matthew records for us that at the time of his third denial, Peter begins to curse and swear and say, I do not know the man. That's the King James Version. He began to curse and swear. But the ESV gets it right. If you look at Matthew chapter 26, when you read that phrase, you hear that phrase, curse and swear, you think Peter is cursing at the man who has accused him. He is swearing at the man who has accused him. He's using foul language and directing it at the man who has accused him. But what the text means is simply this. He wasn't using foul language. He was calling a curse down upon himself. And he was uttering an oath. And if we could translate it, this is what it would have sounded like. I swear to you before the God of heaven and earth, For the third time, I do not know the man. And if I am not telling the truth, may the curse of God be upon me. That is what he said. I swear before God, I do not know the man. And if I am not telling the truth, may the curse of God be upon me. And then... Verse 60, which reads, And immediately, as he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered what the Lord had said. Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. People ask, and I was asked this this last Friday morning. This came up. In the Refuge Bible study on Friday morning, Peter, and I'd said some things about Peter, and someone said, hey, I got, I got a question about Peter. When Jesus looked at him, what was the look? And the person who asked the question sort of went on to, to, give, to give an answer to the question. It was, but it was a kind of a pleading thing. It was a look of grace, right? It was a look of love, right? The look. Of love. It's a look of love, right? 
It's a look of compassion, right? I think the real question is not what was the look like, but what did the look look like to Peter? What did the look look like to Peter when Jesus looked at him after pronouncing a curse upon himself? Look, my my strong, strong suspicion is that the look of Jesus was a look filled with love and compassion. I said to you last week, Peter may fail Jesus. Jesus will never fail Peter. So my strong suspicion is that the look was a look of love and compassion, but a look of rock-solid integrity. And what Peter saw was this. He sees me. He knows me. He knows me to the core of my being. And if words had been exchanged, Peter quite likely would have heard something like this. Now, Peter, at this lowest moment of your life, at the absolutely most bitter moment of your life. At this moment, Peter, where the pretense is stripped away, where the masks are gone, where the presumption and arrogance can no longer be your defense, your rejoinder, your counter to me, At this moment, Peter, where you are stripped naked in the presence of the one whom you have confessed to be Messiah, the perfect prophet, priest, and king, the son of Almighty God, God incarnate. Now, Peter, will you Listen to me as I tell you about you. Will you believe me, Peter, that I know you better than yourself and that you are no rock and that you are no Simon? Peter, the only way you will ever become a rock is when you shut up and stop resisting me and bow before me and embrace me 
as the one who speaks the truth to you about you. It's been Peter's problem straight through all along. You can think of any of the passages we've looked at. Luke chapter 5. Peter, put your nets out into the deep. Master, we've been out all night. Okay, I'll humor you. Matthew 14, walking on the water, a high water mark. A high water mark. A moment when Peter believed, trusted his word. But then he saw the wind and he sank. He ceased trusting Jesus to be the right interpreter of all reality. And he began to interpret all of reality from his own perspective, the perspective of Peter. And he began to sink. Matthew began to sink. Matthew 16, another high water mark. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Folks, You can't watch the grass grow at 2,000 years distance. You can't. You know what I'm saying? I can't know this for sure, but there's something about the way this story unfolds for me as I read and think about it. There's something which suggests to me that when when Peter made the good confession and Jesus commended him for it, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. Peter! It went to his head. And within moments, within moments, his arrogance kicked in, his impulse in the direction of self-protection, self-preservation, self-reliance, it all kicked in. The cross, never, this shall never happen to you. Or me. The arrogance of speaking to the one whom he has just confessed to be Messiah, the Son of the living God, God incarnate, that Peter should presume to speak to God and say, it will not be as you have said. And then the night that Jesus is betrayed, John 13, the foot washing Oh no, you're not going to wash my feet. You're not going to wash my feet. I'll wash your feet. Do not do this. Well, okay, if you're going to wash my feet, then wash everything. Wash my head, wash my hands, wash Peter dictating policy. But most poignantly and painfully, just a few hours before I tell you, Jesus said, all of you will fall away. And Peter, Peter responds and says, fall away. They will, but I won't. They will, but I won't. I'm ready to die with you. I'm ready to go to prison with you. I'll never, ever fall away. Folks, here's the point. Here's what we're saying. We say this over and over and over again. For some people, it's good news. For others, it isn't good news. I tell you, it is at the core and the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Peter will never become Peter unless and until he listens to Jesus as Jesus tells him that he is not Peter. Peter will never become a rock until he confesses that he is not a rock, until he acknowledges that he is an arrogant, self-indulgent, self-absorbed, self-protecting, weak, frail, cowardly, desperately wicked sinner. Peter will never, never even begin to move in the direction of being a rock until he has begun to come to terms with himself. And Jesus, in the midst of his own excruciating distractions and agonies and pains with the prospect of the cross standing before him, still loves Peter so much that he would not turn away from Peter. He would not dismiss Peter. But with his rock-solid piercing gaze would look into the soul of Peter with a look of understanding so that Peter himself could finally know himself as Jesus knows him. This looks like the end for Peter, but it is the beginning. This is the beginning for Peter. And it's true for every person. It's true for every Christian. We say, we need to say, we need to keep saying that salvation is not a point in time thing in the past. Are you with me? We need to say with the Bible that we can look, some of us, to the past and we can say somewhere back there, I was saved. And we need to say that right now, in the present, I am a deeply disordered, Peter-like sinner who needs today to be saved again and I will need to be saved tomorrow and I will need to be saved every day of my life from myself until that day when I am finally saved never to sin again. The faith that saved me, a faith which is the gift of God, which is a gift of grace, which is not as a result of works, 
so that no one can boast the gift of faith, a gift given by God through the agency of the Holy Spirit in my regeneration and my renewal, the faith which enables me in the first place to believe in Jesus and trust him is the faith that is saving me now and it is the faith that will continue to save me until I am fully and finally saved. My friends, to you who have never come to this Jesus, never really come to this Jesus, have never at some level like Peter, known in the depth of your own heart and soul that there is nothing in there but wreckage and disorder and chaos and darkness and rebellion with Paul, I plead with you, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. And to you who know that you have seen that disorder and that chaos and that wreckage and that darkness and that capacity for evil and wickedness and rebellion and you have come to Jesus, my plea is that you continue to recognize there is more work to be done. And that we not, that we not seek to clothe ourselves in the way that Peter did with the spiritual arrogance, with the spiritual self-righteousness, with an attitude which says, Jesus, you can count on me. I'm better than they are. I'll never leave you or forsake you. That we continue to be mindful as we sing in my favorite hymn. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. We're not going to sing yet. I'm just illustrating a point. And the point is that you who are Christians, who know that you needed Jesus back there, must continue to know that you need Jesus right here and right now. And so, how will Jesus get bigger in Peter's vision? In about two weeks, two weeks from this time, Peter will be on a beach fishing with his buddies, having gone back to work after the death and resurrection of his Savior. And Jesus will fix breakfast for Peter. And Jesus, infinite in mercy, and compassion will restore Peter. Jesus will never be bigger than when you despair of yourself and see him as your only hope 
in life and in death. This is a bit of a switch. I don't think I've done this in seven years at Christ the King. I'd like for us to close by singing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Tune thy heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Number 457. I'm sure these folks can handle the change. I trust you can too. Let's stand together and sing. Number 457.